Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to the Healthy Herb Podcast, a place of information and inspiration for the home herbalist. I'm Bridget Doherty of the Solidago School of Herbalism, coming to you from a bridged island on the coast of Maine. On today's show, I'm talking about my top 10 takeaways when learning herbalism as a home herbalist. Before we get started, I want you to know that I'm not a doctor, nor do I diagnose or treat people. What I share is based on my own experience and what I've learned from my mentors, including the plants themselves. Ultimately, I want you to be empowered in seeking and achieving your own version of optimum health. I want you to be inspired to connect and relate to the common plants that grow all around you. Together, let's make home herbalism be as common in the everyday household as cooking a healthy meal. Now, without further ado, let's have some fun and dig in. I am really excited to share some big news with you before we dive into the main topic of today, and that is that I have a book coming out in a month, a little over a month, and it's available for pre-order now on Amazon. It's called Drinkable Healing Herbal Infusions, 100 Beverages, to soothe your ailments and boost your immunity. And it's published by Rockridge Press. And I'm telling you this now because I have some free copies that the publishing company is letting me give to some of my audience. So if you want a free copy of Drinkable Healing Herbal Infusions then you need to send me an email this weekend. So send it to solidagoherbschool at gmail.com. And I'll put that address in the show notes as well. You can also always contact me via my website, solidagoherbschool.com. And... Yeah, so they just want to start getting the book out there, maybe get some reviews. So if you're interested in reading it and then ideally, you know, writing an honest review on Amazon, um, that would really be helpful for me. And then you'd have the book in your hand. So I hope that this interests you. And if it does, it, so this is coming out on Friday 
and um, of April 15th. And so I need to know that you want a copy by April 18th. So that's the Monday um, after Easter. And I hope that you do want a copy. So you'll be hearing more about it as we approach the launch date, but that is the exciting news that I have for you today. So now let's dig into what I want to talk about today. And what I want to talk about today are basically my top 10 takeaways for the home herbalists that are just general about home herbalism. And I think the one that I want to start with is nourishment will never be found in a pill. So we can take multivitamins and supplements and even herbs and capsules and drugs, over-the-counter drugs, pharmaceutical medicine, Uh, in capsules and pills, and we will definitely, in some cases, change our health by doing so, but we will never be nourishing ourselves. Nourishment in the form of really whole nutrition, complex nutrition, in my humble opinion, but I think many would agree with me, um, you'll never find it in a pill form. It has to actually come from real food, from real plants. I mean, our multivitamins and minerals these days are, as far as I know, they're all synthetic vitamins and minerals. And they're not even true vitamins and minerals. They're just like one aspect, one tiny piece of what actually can be found in nature. So I really strongly believe that if you know we're if you're spending a lot of money on supplements thinking that you're giving yourself nourishment and nutrition if you have a cabinet full of pills or if you take a handful of capsules every day and trust me I've been there and I hope to never go back there but you know really thinking I was doing myself some favors and helping my nutrition by taking them in pill form, you know, even it, I just, it's just not going to work like real food does. So let's save our money. Let's get rid of the multivitamins supplements because they don't really train our body to get the nutrition that we really need. And let's work with whole foods and nourishing herbs And then we'll really see changes and differences in our health. The second takeaway uh, for the home herbalist is, and this kind of follows along those lines, but herbs are not drugs. And I know that sounds very obvious, but I think that actually a lot of times, especially in the common everyday person um, that we really want to think that herbs are drugs because our current medical model, the main medical model, the scientific tradition of healing, um, 
drugs are medicine. And so then we, we take a, that paradigm and we start working with herbs as medicine, then they seem like they're synonymous with drugs because they're both medicine, right? So it's really easy to expect that the herbs are going to work the same as drugs. A lot of, you know, that they'll have side effects, negative side effects like drugs have, or they'll have really specific directions of actions like drugs do. And that the dosing is like needs to be really specific like drugs are. But I don't find this to be the case. And so I really think that when we're working with herbs, especially since we are not going to be working with herbs in supplement form, because of what we just discussed about nourishment not being found in a pill. So we want to we keep our herbs whole as well, in my personal opinion, while we work with them, not in capsule, tablet, or standardized extract form. And when we work with herbs in this way, then we really have to shift our paradigm to meet that change in medicine so that we can really understand it and we can drop a lot of the fear that I think comes with the herbs. Because, you know, I think that herbs are feared quite a bit because we don't understand them, because we can't say exactly what is in that herb at any given time unless we like run a very specific test on that one batch of herb which is just not feasible and really not necessary um but because we're so used to drugs and knowing exactly what we're taking in that capsule like exactly the dosage of exactly the chemical constituent that we're taking we expect to have that type of control when we work with herbs or we want to have that type of control when we work with herbs. And I think we just being the general American human collective, because that's really what I can speak to um, as to what I was, what I have been growing up and then what um, I just see around me. And so this might be different in other places or in pockets of America. But I would say generally that um, it seems to me that humans really like the illusion of control, the illusion of being able to control. Um, and the interesting thing about that is that nature is the opposite of control. Nature is chaos. Um, and humans have fear chaos, understandably so. And that's why so many of us like to have uh, neat and tiny, tidy lawns and organized landscapes and organized gardens and everything being pristine and quote unquote clean when when we step outside of that neat trained lawn and garden and we step into the wild woods just beyond that we realize that it is chaos you know plants don't naturally grow in rows grass isn't naturally cut 
like straight and monocultured where it's like the monocropped where it's the only plant in one place. It really is chaotic and that can be scary because it's hard to know what's going to happen next. (laughs) You know, we can't really expect things. So I think that there is like this inherent fear of nature and therefore there's kind of an inherent fear of herbs. And so going back to the fact that herbs are not drugs, they are more than that. There's a, so many different chemical constituents in each herb, and there's so much variation. And that can change also from when and where and how the herbs are harvested and stored and extracted or utilized. But that's okay. It's okay that there's variation. And in fact, it's, it's good. And you know, it, humans are varied as well. We're very varied. <laughs> there is a lot of variation from within us as one person, like on a day-to-day, hour-to-hour, minute-to-minute basis, we are always changing. And we are always, um, there's always variation to our wholeness and our being. And that's the same with the plants. So herbs work differently than drugs. Drugs have a very specific direction of action. So if you take a blood pressure lowering drug, it's going to lower your blood pressure, whether it needs to be lowered or not. And the more you take, the more it will lower your blood pressure. With herbs, generally speaking, especially when you're working with them in a whole form, they tend to have more of a uh, amphoteric action where they can, they have more of a modulating action. So if your blood pressure needs to be lowered, it will lower the, using the herbs will help to lower the blood pressure. But if you already have low blood pressure and you are going to take an herb that is known to lower blood pressure, it probably isn't going to lower it. And In many cases, it will help to raise or normalize the blood pressure. So herbs, drugs have a specific direction of action and herbs are more modulating and normalizing, especially when you take them in their whole form. In other words, not as a standardized extract. A standardized extract is a drug in my mind, is a supplement because what they do is they'll extract um, one constituent of the plant that has been considered to be the quote-unquote active constituent and it's concentrated and put into a capsule and that capsule might have a filler of other herbs in it as well but or of that one herb, like maybe a little bit of powder or dust of that herb put in there so they can say, oh, it's like a whole plant plus standardized extract, but not really. Um, The other really key difference between herbs and drugs are herbs are living beings. 
and they have the complexity of living being. So not only do they have like complex chemistry, where a drug is usually very refined and defined chemistry, but the herbs also have a life force. They have a soul force. They have a, they're a living being that you can actually connect with and have a relationship with if you so choose. In drugs, it's, there's not as much of a relationship there. It's a very different type of relationship if there is a relationship there. And that is the most beautiful difference, I think, between an herb and a drug. I'm sure there are a lot of other differences, but those are the top ones that I can think of off the top of my head. Next takeaway, nourishing herbs are preventive and helpful for chronic care. So when we work with nourishing herbs, and these are herbs that are very high in nutrition, they're very food-like in nature, and they probably also have a fair amount of protein or uh, mucilaginous constituents, uh, polysaccharides, which are long-chain sugars that help to support immune health, um, herbs, and I would even put mushrooms, medicinal mushrooms in this category as well, is they tend to be best consumed over a long period of time and on a regular basis. And they can really build health so that we can be more resistant um, to and resilient when we are faced with health challenges or stress. And they can also be really helpful for people who have chronic health conditions where, if, you know, you've just had an illness or a variety of illnesses for a long period of time. The nourishing herbs can really help build foundational health. And in the long term, they can really help turn around chronic illness. They tend to be slow acting because they, again, because they are depending on how nu nutrient depleted one may be, um, it might take longer to build up the nutrient stores. So it might take longer to, to have an effect. Although that's not always the case. Oftentimes the nourishing herbs, especially when we are so depleted, um, you know, our bodies just like crave that nutrition. And so right when we start working with them, uh, we can really start to see some drastic effects because our body is so excited to get the nutrition that it may have been lacking for a long time. Really wild, whole plant nutrition. Herbs tend to be amphoteric in action. So I did mention this when I was talking about herbs versus drugs. So they tend to have an ability to work in two different directions or as needed to help the body return to a state of homeostasis. Now, a lot of people might say, you know, herbs are balancing or we can work with herbs to balance our health. And that's not a term that I love to use. Um, I think it maybe gets the point, the general idea, but balance in and of itself 
is not a goal that I think we should strive for because when something is perfectly balanced, it is uh, a point of stasis. It's a very, it's a still point. There is no motion and life in life and living, there's always motion, right? So balance is like, we're seeking that moment where there is no change or variation, And I wonder if that ties back to that whole like fear of chaos and like fear of nature Um, where the reality is, is that when we reach that complete state of balance, of stasis, of not moving, if you think of like a fulcrum that's balanced, it's totally still, right? Uh, That's not life. That's not where we want to be. So when we're living and we're alive, we're really looking for a state of homeostasis, which is, I see that more of a spiral around a center point, or even a dance around a center point. So, you know, we're within a center range of health, but it's one that's always changing and fluctuating and ebbing and flowing. Um, but within a healthy state. And so that's what our body really wants, where our body strives to be and wants to be. And if we provide it with the right nutrition um, and chemistry, then I think ideally, plus other things, you know, rest, exercise, all that good stuff. If we're really supporting the body um, as best we can, then we can more easily stay in that state of homeostasis or near it, around it, dancing around it, spiraling around it. And herbs can really help us be there, especially the nourishing herbs, especially the um, adaptogenic herbs, especially the tonic herbs, and the alterative herbs. There are like the stimulant herbs and the sedative herbs that are going to be mm, less amphoteric in action. They're going to be have more of a direction of action. Although usually they'll have it's more like forceful, like they'll have more of a forceful direction of action in one direction. And then it almost like reverberates back. And so then you would have um, reverberating back to the other direction of action. So an example of this is, say, coffee. We have coffee, um, and we get really stimulated and very awake and ready to go. And then we crash, and we get really tired (laughs) during that crash time. And so that has, again, it's like it takes you both places, but it's just more extreme. And coffee is like one of the most extreme herbs in common use. Um, Or there are herbs like valerian, which is a sedative, but for a certain percentage of the population, they always used to say 20%, but I think now I think the number is ever increasing as more people work with herbs. Um we're finding that more more people um, have the opposite reaction to valerian. Or 
where it's more stimulating, or it might be more of like a dosing thing. Like if you have a very small amount, depending on your own person, your own sensitivity, if you have a very small amount of valerian, it might have more of a sedative action. And if you have a really large amount, then it might be more stimulating, depending on you. Um, for me, I, you know, any amount of valerian just like knocks me out. It's very, very sedating for me. Um, what other herbs? So, again, hawthorn is like the classic amphoteric herb where for blood pressure. So if you have too high blood pressure, it's going to help normalize it, help lower it. If your blood pressure is too low, it's going to help bring it back up to a normal range. So it's not having that specific direction only of action. So understanding that herbs, you know, really help to bring us more to a more of a center sphere of health. New habits take practice and time. It takes doing something supposedly around, I've heard the number anyway, 66 times uh, before it becomes a habit. So it's easier sometimes instead of, you know, say like, oh man, I really feel like my diet has just been wackadoodle. It's not right for me. It's not working for me. The foods I'm eating, I'm eating too many processed foods, this and that. I need to change my whole diet so that I'll be healthier. And that could be really overwhelming because that huge changes are really hard to do. New habits really take practice and time. So sometimes it's easier just doing one new thing at a time. So for instance, with the nourishing herbal infusions, um, if you want to, if you really want to shift your diet to something more nutritious and more um, healthful, sometimes all you have to do is that one thing is add in, just add in one thing, the nourishing herbal infusions, and really focus on, okay, I'm committing to drinking one nourishing herbal infusion every day. And then once you like, build that one habit, the rest kind of takes shape around it. You start having different cravings and it's almost like your whole diet shifts naturally as you become more mineral rich and less depleted nutrition wise. You just start craving and taste the healthier foods and foods that aren't healthy for you really start tasting really unhealthy for you. So when we're working with herbs, sometimes it's a lot easier just to start with one herb too, instead of being like, oh, I have this one health issue and I just did some research and there's like 20 different herbs that all can be helpful for this issue. I'm just going to go out and buy a tincture of each and start working with them all. I think when it, when it really comes to working with herbs, start slow and just start with one herb or one new habit and then it will all 
it'll get easier to add in more new habits or more healthful foods as time progresses. Well, and I think that this is a good place where I want to take a little bit of a break and I want to talk a bit about Noom. So I've been talking a bit about Noom um, on my podcast recently and they offered me a free trial. So Noom is a uh, basically a weight loss program or a program to help improve your eating habits. And so I took them up on that. So I started uh, on Noom. Um, and I have to say, I actually am really impressed with it. And I really like it. So I was feeling like, you know, I'm just going to be really authentic here. I'm just going to let you know where I'm at. So I really was not feeling great about my physical body after this winter. Like I really felt like I could stand to lose lose some weight, get back on a healthy track of, you know, eating really healthy food and um, start exercising more, which I will be since the garden season is coming up. And but every winter I always gain some weight. And then but this winter just felt like a little bit more than usual. I'm in my mid 40s things. My metabolism's definitely slowing down. And I'm like looking ahead and one would think that there would be a light at the end of the tunnel, but I just see, I see menopause at the end of my current tunnel. And that's both exciting and a little intimidating and scary. So I know that my body is going to be shifting. And I just wanted to, um, yeah, try to lose some weight. So I'd really feel good in my clothes again and really feel comfortable and happy with my body. Um. So I, what I really like about Noom is it's an app on your phone, so I can check with it, in on it regularly. And I'd say what I, one thing that I really like about it is I like that you can log your meals and you can log them really easily. And, you know, you, it's, um, they they tell you based on a questionnaire that you fill out at the beginning when you first start with them and you know where you're at where you're at and where you want to be what's your goal um they tell you how many steps you should walk in a day and uh, how many calories you should eat and so i really enjoy their meal tracking so for every meal you can Right, you they have a huge bank food bank, um, so you can just pick everything that you decided to eat for that meal and the amount that you ate, and it will tally your calories so you can really easily track your calories for the day and compare it to the calories that they want you to consume. And then, not only that, but then they'll you can look at their analysis of what you eat, and the whole idea is to teach you how to eat better and how to think about your food in the, in the proportions of what you're eating. So by caloric density. So there's foods that they, of course, are the foods that you can eat the most of, which obviously are going to be vegetables and fruits. <laughs> and then the foods that you want to eat the least of, which have the highest caloric density, which is like the most calories for the smallest amount of food that's going to fill you up and which is going to be more like 
cheese and, you know, steak or salad dressing, whatever. Those are going to be things that you want to eat in very small amounts. And then there's the yet there's the amount in between. So for me, I've been doing this for a week and a half only, but it's been great because it really helps me with my accountability uh, and that like accountability to myself so that I'm constantly thinking about what I'm putting into my body and what effect it's having on my body and how I can make better choices. So I would like to share one thing that I've been eating, which has been, I think really, it's been great for the calories and also really great health-wise and really tasty and filling at the same time is I have been making like pre-making a quinoa vegetable dish that I have that I can take with me for lunch every day to have on hand or I can even have it as like an afternoon snack so it's very simple I basically um, cook vegetables and I cook quinoa and then I put them together and then um, you know they kind of I like to use sweet potato because sweet potato um, is a great food for ca- calorie wise versus how, how much it fills you up and it's tasty and it gives you like that sweet treat too. And, um, it makes it kind of creamy cause quinoa can have like kind of a weird texture, right? It's like not, it's like very grainy. Um, but the sweet potato can really make it creamy, especially if it's really well cooked sweet potato and then, so I, I cooked, I roasted sweet potato uh, in the oven for 45 minutes to an hour or so till it got really soft. And then I cooked my kale in, on the stovetop in a little bit of water for about an hour until that got nice and tender. And then I caramelized some onions and sauteed some mushrooms with the onions and then I chopped all of that stuff up and I put it in a bowl with the quinoa and that's like the base of my meals of my lunch and my um, afternoon snack and it's so good and so hearty and like really low calories and then I have pre-cooked chicken breast like a good quality chicken breast and hard-boiled eggs And depending on which protein I want, I'll either do the chicken breast or the hard-boiled eggs on top of that quinoa mix. And that has been um, great for me. It feels good. It tastes good. And um, it's low calories. And high nutrition. So I hope that inspires you or intrigues you or gives you at least an idea for an an easy lunch to have on hand that's high nutrition high in nutrition and again this ties in with the new habits um and I you know I feel like spring is always a good time to like pick up a new habit because it's like the rebirth and I mean I feel like it's a great time to want to get more fit and eating healthy again. And I don't know, in Maine, it's hard, right? Because it's like, oh, when are we going to have fresh, fresh food from the garden again? Very soon. It's, it's, it's on its way. 
So along those lines, my next takeaway, and if you've been listening to me, you've heard this before as well, is uh, food must be cooked to get nutrition from it, food being plant food, and cooking meaning transforming it, breaking those cell walls so that you can get the actual nutrition that is bound within that cell wall. And you, the best way to do it and the best way for easy digestion um, is to cook it. You know, I hear a lot of people... I have heard a lot of people in the past um, complain about having a lot of digestive problems and they, they don't understand why they have all these food intolerances. They don't know what it is. They really have to like limit what they eat. And I, when I talk to them, I find out that a lot of people are they're they're eating a lot of vegetables, which is great and very important, but there are a lot of vegetables that aren't, that are mostly raw or, you know, lightly steamed or a lot of salads. And that is really hard to digest for the body. It can be really, um, can cause a lot of gas and cramping and bloating and indigestion because plants are tough, man. Plants are, they, those cell walls are no joke, right? Like you can drive over a lot of plants with your car and they will survive it. So you gotta, you gotta break them down <laughs> before you put them in your, in your body. So what are your top ways of cooking or breaking down of plant food so that it's easy to digest, it's not painful, and you're going to get the most nutrition from it. Heating it for a long time, one to four hours, so roasting it in the oven or cooking it in a small amount of water, making a soup, a stew, crock, put, crock pot, cooking, what have you. Uh, fermentation. Lacto-ferments um, are great because then the, the microbes break down the food for you. Dehydration. Dehydration is able to break those cell walls so that you can more easily access the nutrition. Freezing. So that's going to burst those cell walls. So freezing frozen vegetables, heated and cooked. Um, you don't have to cook them for an hour. You just have to reheat them. You're good to go. Same with the frozen fruit. So if you're going to do your green smoothies by putting your kale and your spinach in it, use frozen kale and frozen spinach. Don't use fresh kale and fresh spinach. Um, covering in oil like pestos or salad dressings, marinades, um, things like that. Coleslaws that have been marinating for a long time with a nice amount of oil and vinegar really start to break down and soften. Okay, next takeaway. We're on number seven. Working with herbs as simples is important, especially when you're first getting to know them. Simples being um, single herb remedies. So you can use a lot, you know, multiple herbs in a day. 
um, or for one condition. But at, at each individual time for each remedy, I really like to have the herbs as simples because then you really relate that relationship really forms that we were talking about before. And you really get to understand the plant and how it works for your body. And you really get to taste it in its entirety. And, and you really get to eat to consume a lot of that one plant where if you're working with herbs only in formula, you really don't get a lot of each plant. It's usually a very small amount of each plant. But when it's in simples, you can really, you know, really ingest that herb. And again, this is not how I started being an herbalist. I always worked with herbs and formulas. And um, I just wasn't really getting the depth of understanding of the herbs until I really worked with them in sim- as simples. And I didn't even understand that until I worked with them as simples. And now it's really unattractive almost for me to work with herbs in formulas because it just feels like a mishmash to me because I really crave that individual connection with the plants. Like recently I, um, a acquaintance was saying that, you know, they like really liked putting Shazandra and Astragalus together. And I, I was like, oh, that actually sounds like that would be a really nice combination um, for an infusion and or a decoction. And so I did that. I think I did it as an infusion, a long infusion. And I could taste the schizandra and I could taste the astragalus within them, uh, within that combination. But as I drank it, I was just, I really just realized that I was craving, I just wanted the astragalus alone and I just wanted the schizandra alone because I love them both so much as individuals. And that really rang home for me. It made me realize, I was like, yes, like I really, the more that I have worked with herbs as simples, the more I crave working with them as simples. So I challenge you to try it out. Like I know that there is this like really strong desire to combine herbs. I see it all the time. And I, I challenge you to just try working with all the herbs that you work with in formula, but as simples and see what you think, see if anything changes. You can always go back to the formula if you want, but at least give it a chance. I, I compare it to um, being at a party and you're either in the party um, and you get the whole vibe of the whole party or the whole formula. And that's going to be extremely different than if you work with an herb one-on-one or, you know, if you take an herb uh, or if you, instead of going to a party, you meet with one person from that party at a coffee shop and or go for a walk in the woods together. That's going to be a very, very different understanding and experience. Working with plants that grow around you offers freedom and self-reliance. This is, I think, a really important takeaway Even if you're purchasing the herbs, 
as long as you know that if you needed to, you could access them from your immediate or close to immediate environment, then you have freedom and self-reliance. Because what if, you know, you all of a sudden are working with maca, which has, I really don't like it when people work with maca because it has, oh, it's just really ruined whole cultures from my understanding, the over harvest and use and commodic commodification of maca. But say you were working with that and it was really, really helping you. And then all of a sudden you, you know, the supply chain defaults or a pandemic happens and all of a sudden you can't get things that you used to be able to get. Or if for some reason the government decides they want to uh, put some regulations on some herbs that you would normally only be able to buy. Then you're kind of out of luck because this was one herb that you've become dependent on, but the but you're also now dependent on the supply chain for your health. Where I think one of the ways that herbalism is both people's medicine, but also is very freeing and allows independence in, uh, and self-reliance in our own health care is that we have free access to the herbs if we need it. So if we can work with herbs, and there are lots of herbs, no matter where you live, I am guessing that there are likely lots of herbs that grow in that environment. Number nine takeaway, whole herbs offer us the inherent wisdom of nature. And should I also add the chaos of nature too? So the natural variation that whole herbs provide us, the broad spectrum of nutrition and the broad reaching results that those offer are this inherent wisdom of nature that is beyond anything that I think that humans could possibly comprehend. And so it takes a little bit of trust, which again is can be hard for humans. Um, trust in the inherent wisdom of nature and that um, the complexities are... And the variation is where the magic happens. And we're not going to be able to ever master that. We're not going to be able to fully comprehend it. And any time that we try to control it or manipulate it, uh, we're going to get side effects. Because of this natural variation, complexity, broad spectrum of nutrition, herbs have a sphere of action versus a direction of action. So they help to bring us into health, no matter where we're at. And finally, um, number 10 takeaway, you can either go a mile deep and an inch wide 
in your herbal studies or an inch deep and a mile wide. Both work for learning herbalism, but I tend to like the idea of going a mile deep and an inch wide. And what I mean by that is to really dive deep into a few plants at first. And when you do that, you can really understand a lot about herbalism as a whole because each plant has a world of knowledge and understanding and connection to it. And once you can relate to one plant and fully understand it as much as you possibly can, um, as far as all of the aspects of it, everything to connecting to it as a living being, a life force, you know, plant spirit energy, um, down to the constituents it holds that we know of, how those constituents affect our body, um, what are the best ways to prepare the plant and why and how do those taste and how do you prepare them and what's that like experimenting with all of that. Once you've done that with one or two or five plants, then you have you will have a really big grasp on herbalism as a whole, I think, because you can understand, you can start to see patterns. Um, and once you start to see patterns, then as you learn more plants, you can understand how those plants work or how you want to work with them or how different they are to other, the other plants faster and, and better. Um, you can really understand a lot about herbalism in working with just in depth with just a few plants. And so that is, um, something that I offer you, you know, pick, a few plants that grow right outside your door and dive deep. Really see how much you can possibly learn and understand about them and how, de how much of a depth of a relationship you can build with them. And your life will be so much more enriched for, for it. And the plant's life, too, will be enriched for it as well. So there you have it, my top 10 takeaways for the home herbalist about herbalism. Plus a little bit, uh, a little recipe in there and a little bit about, um, yeah making goals to lose a little bit of weight. So I'll, I plan to uh, let you know more as I go along on that journey. And having my audience help me be accountable as well and sticking with my plan. 
And again, if you want a copy of one of um, drinkable healing herbal infusions, my first book that's coming out the end of May, um, you will probably get an early copy and you can get it for free. Uh, if you email me before Monday, that's the Monday after Easter of the year 2022. And I'd love for you to take a look at it and see what you think and possibly write an honest review on Amazon for me. That would be a huge help. And, you know, I really appreciate you, my listeners. Thank you so much for joining me on this podcast journey. I hope that you enjoyed this podcast. And I also invite you to check out podcasts from last spring. So just go on down through the old podcasts because um, they will also be relating to seasonally what's going on this spring. So there's, I know there's a podcast on um, dandelion and nettle. And I think there's a little one on Violet. I'm going to do a more in-depth one on Violet when I have time. But for now, I just want to thank you for listening. Send me an email, soladagoherbschool at gmail.com. If you want a free copy of my book, send that by Monday. This Monday, hopefully you are listening to the podcast Otherwise, um, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, my website, all with the tag Solidago Herb School. I'm Bridget Doherty. Until next week, be well, let intuition guide you, and have fun with herbs.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.